What's up, everybody? Thank you so much for tuning into the podcast today. This is episode 80, which blows my mind. I'm so thankful that we've been able to get this far. I'd probably still be doing it if nobody was listening, but I can tell you that knowing each and every one of you takes time out of your day or night to take a listen. It's certainly motivation that uh, helps a lot. So thank you. And if you haven't yet, make sure you subscribe on whatever platform it is that you listen to the podcast on. And if you're on social media, you can follow along. It's at that curious Jones. And if you've got friends that might enjoy podcasts, shoot them a link, let them know what's up. We appreciate that as well. My guest today is a former Navy special operator who is a member of the EOD unit, which is explosives, ordnance, and disposal. And his job was really to travel around with SEALs or Green Berets and ensure that they are able to get from point A to point B safely and without incident and with an expertise specifically in explosives and uh, chemical biological weapons. Also had to be proficient in diving as well as parachuting. So kind of a uh, jack of all trades, so to speak, from what he was telling me. And it was really the reason that I initially wanted to reach out and have a conversation with him. And as I was doing my research on his background, I realized there was a whole lot more to who this person was. And so we talked about a whole bunch of other things as well, including work that he's done with an organization that he's a part of called Shift that helps both veterans as well as businesses who want to hire veterans match themselves together and ensure optimal success in the workplace transition. And something that isn't out there enough. And I was shocked to learn that there's almost a quarter of a million veterans every year who leave the military and who are looking to transition back into civilian life. And so this organization shift is doing all kinds of great work. And we talked about that and how it's impacted him as well as others. And he's also the founder of a company called Stasis, which focuses on performance increases as well as stress reduction through breath work and breathing exercises. They have coaches to help people with that. And they also are in the cold plunge business where they're developing uh, kind of direct consumer cold plunges or ice baths. So really interesting conversation. And especially if you're into things like recovery and performance increase, um, an episode that I think you're going to want to listen to. Give it up for my guest, Josh Dunce. But before we enjoy the episode today, a quick shout out from the sponsor of this podcast, Action Specialty Roast Coffee and Natural Supplements. Action has the best tasting specialty roast coffee on the market with beans sourced from a volcano in Guatemala and small batch roasted upon your order in Austin, Texas. In addition to that, Action also has a line of natural supplements, products like turmeric and CBD and MCTs and even mushrooms. Yes, mushrooms for endurance and immunity, as well as a line of apparel. Head to drinkaction.com. That's action with a K. And if you use code word curious, you'll save 15%. But if you want to save more, sign up for a subscription and action will incentivize you with a 20% discount every single month, regardless of the size of the order and ensure that you have the best tasting specialty roast coffee and all of your natural supplements waiting in your door every month. Head to drinkaction.com. Use code word curious and enjoy this episode.
Well, Josh, I appreciate you taking time uh, coming on. I feel like we're connected and I haven't even had a chance to talk with you yet because uh, I did a little research over the last couple of days and it's kept me intrigued and uh, my whole talk track changed because initially I came across you on LinkedIn of all places, um, just doing some, some other work and you had a really unique background, uh, a background that I respect a lot. Um, you know, first and foremost, thank you so much for your service to the country. Um, I think that's got to be said first, but you've taken that experience in the military. You did extraordinary things while you were there. And since you've had a motivation, and I know you're involved in a number of things that are really important for, I think, other veterans who are coming out of the service to integrate into uh, civilian life. Um, but you just, you're doing these other things that it's like, why would somebody want to keep pushing themselves to the limits, the ultra running and, um, you know, just all the entrepreneurial things that you're doing. So thank you for coming on and for talking through this. And I think for me, I, you know, I'd love to get an, I guess, a background and an understanding of your time in the Navy, because if my research is correct. You were an EOD specialist which is a, a form of special operations in the Navy that is really around like explosives, but also correct me if I'm wrong, diving and parachuting is also kind of a specialty of that. Yeah. Yeah. Those are both, um, we would call them like mobility areas or, or ways that we would be basically, how do you get to the job? Right. Um, one of those ways is either by jumping. Sometimes it's by diving. Sometimes it's by fast roping or repelling from a helicopter. Um, kind of all different mobility platforms that really are, are normally at the beginning and the end of a mission. Um, yeah, it's been a journey, man. I, I don't know where the best best place to start is. You know, I mean, to be completely honest, uh, growing up, the military was never something um, I thought about or thought I would ever end up doing. Um, it it kind of happened by luck and by chance and by really me uh, I think kind of going through a lot of hardships growing up and coming from a, you know, a fairly dysfunctional household, which I, I later found out to be very common in special operations communities. Um, I think most of the people that find themselves drawn to that type of, of work somehow um, are, you know, are risk takers really, um, but I think they kind of come from a hard environment and that's what actually ends up being the key factor in being able to make it through those types of pipelines. Um, and then just being willing to like deal with the day-to-day -day stressors um, that come along with the job. So, you know, a little bit more about kind of like how I ended up there. Um, left, uh, graduated high school, moved up to Tallahassee, Florida to go to college at uh, Tallahassee Community College. Had some friends up at Florida State. I was unfortunately not selected um, to get into Florida State, but um, kind of me and all my group of friends all wanted to, to stay together. So the, the ones of us that didn't get into college ended up going to community college up there. Quickly found out that college life was not for me at the time. Um, very much a, a young, immature, 18, 19 year old, first time away from home, and um, took that to, to the fullest advantage, you know, as you will, <laughs> and uh, ended up dropping out after 
I think your first semester, um, moving back home and kind of, again, quickly realizing that why I wanted to get out of there. Um, so was kind of looking for options of like, how do I get out of this house and out of this place as soon as possible? Um, had just had a really close friend of mine from high school join the Navy. He was doing like, you know, kind of more typical military Navy stuff. So he was like on a ship. I forget what his specific job was. But anyways, he was the one that like, you know, you should go talk to a recruiter. So ended up going and talked to a recruiter. Um, my family grew up in Florida and around Pensacola, which is where like the home of the Blue Angels mm. if you're familiar with them, like a, a pretty cool like fighter pilot trick squadron. Um, and like my cousins that I dreamed about one day becoming Blue Angels as, as little kids, that was something we always talked about when we would go see their shows. So that was something that like the first time I actually went and talked to a Navy recruiter, I walked in there, it was like, hey, I want to be a fucking Navy pilot. Like I want to be a Blue Angel. And the guy kind of like laughed in my face, you know, and he was, I, I had no idea like what it actually took to become a Blue Angel or what the pipeline was to become a Navy pilot. The first thing he told me was like, oh, well, you have to go back to school and get like a four year degree to be an officer, to be even eligible to be selected for flight training. And so that was instantly like off the books for me. I was like, the last thing I want to do right now is, is go back to school. Um, I was always drawn to, you know, like I was an athlete growing up. I played every sport. So I wanted to, I didn't, I knew I didn't want to be on a ship and do like some regular job. And so he kind of showed me all the different pamphlets, like special operations, Navy SEALs, Navy diver, uh, SWIC, which are like the guys who drive the boats for the SEALs and then EOD. So I like went home, did a bunch of homework um, and was really intrigued with EOD because you got to do a little bit of everything. As you kind of mentioned, we got to jump, we got to shoot, we got to dive, we got to blow stuff up. Um, so that was really intriguing to me. I think now that I'm, I'm older and wiser uh, a little bit now, and I kind of know myself a little bit more, I realize that I've always been someone that's kind of like gone off and like I do something and I get to a place where I feel like I've kind of accomplished what I wanted to do with that. And then it's okay, on to the next thing. Um, I, I did that with sports growing up. Like I would play sports for a couple of years and I'll get tired of it and I would want to switch and do something different. So the, the aspect of EOD that you kind of got to do a little bit of everything, they kind of say that like, we're, uh, uh, you know, a master of none, but like pretty good at everything. Um, that was intriguing to me. And that's like what ultimately led me down that path was just like, I wanted to, I, I didn't want to just do one of those aspects. I wanted to kind of yeah. dip my toes in a little bit of everything. And so that's how I decided to, to go down the EOD route. Do you think that the same things that were causing you to not succeed initially in college are some of the same things that made you succeed in the military? Yeah, for sure. Um, like I was a rebel. I still am today, right? Like it's, it's in my blood, I think. Like I've always, um, and I think a large part of this has to do with like how I was brought up and kind of like my, my childhood and just the environment and, and how I was brought up as a kid. Um, but I've always like gone against the status quo and kind of wanted to do things a little bit my way and was never like 
a huge person for like discipline or like authority figures, which kind of like turned its head in the military, right? Like that's probably interesting for people that are listening to this is like, well, that's the complete opposite of what the military is. But um, most people I think have a very wrong misconception of what they think about the military, especially when you look in like special operations communities. Um, it's it's filled with misfits and rebels, right? Like you don't get golden childs and American, you know, hero, like American boys to join those types of communities, right? Like most of us came from like fucked up childhoods or something was like wrong in our past. We have some chip on our shoulder, which is what drew us to want to do really cool, like hard things, right? Yep. Um, so for sure, like all that played in the factor and and me joining the, the the military and really like me being able to make it through the pipeline too. Well, it's funny because you, you kind of went where I was going, right? It's like people would think, well, if you're undisciplined, like the military is the last place you're going to go, or maybe it's what you need and you're going to get taught discipline. I look at it differently and, you know, maybe I'm so wrong on this, but the lack of quote unquote discipline that I think some people see isn't a lack of discipline. I think it's a lack of dealing with bullshit. And it's, you know, I can have respect, discipline, be disciplined, show up, you know, do all these things. I feel like I'm similar to you. I'm obviously not a, a veteran, haven't done some of the extraordinary things that you've done, but I, I relate with the, you know, chaotic childhood. You know, I came, my parents are, they're cool now, but you know, my teen years, they were at each other's throat. They separated. Um, you know, I didn't grow up wealthy. We were in a, a small Northeastern, uh, you know, a Pennsylvania town that was like an old steel and oil town. So it was depressed and just not a lot of opportunity. But because of that upbringing, I just, I, did, I had a low tolerance for bullshit. And yeah. so when I'd have somebody that wanted me to be disciplined, but it was only not for my benefit or for any specific benefit, it was just because I'm telling you that I'm the teacher. And I, yeah. I was like, well, this makes zero sense. And if it makes <laughs> no sense, I don't want to pay attention. I don't want to do it. But I think like when you're in the military and you've got a job to do, that same personality can be very focused and very disciplined, driven and succeed because of all of those things that maybe make you the not disciplined kid at high school or, you know, whatever else you're doing as a child. 100%. Yeah, I think you kind of nailed it. Um, I always felt like I had all this potential, but I just wasn't able to kind of realize it because of this like bucket that we put kids through in like the, the education system and how society wants you to follow this path of like what they think is the right way to go about your life and like how you progress and it's like okay you go to school you get good grades and you go to college and then xyz and I always felt like that just wasn't the right thing for me um, and I, I feel so fortunate to, to have found the military because it laid the foundation for like everything I'm doing now um, but that same personality got me in a lot of trouble in the military, right? Like there is like factors of discipline and like, uh, you know, a structure and like a chain of command and all these things. And that's ultimately what led me to, to, to get out of the military was like, as I start to get more senior and like really kind of see under the hood of how the shit was being run and where my community was going, um, I didn't like what I see, what I saw, you know, and I was like, I just, I, I knew if I stayed in, I was going to get in more and more trouble. And it just like, again, it wasn't shaping out to be like what 
I ultimately wanted to do in life. And I evolved a lot over the course of 10 years in the military. Like, oh my God, for like people that I grew up with that knew me back then and who I am now, I'm like a completely different person. And and part of that is the military and part of that is me just growing up, you know, and becoming like a man and, and figuring out who I am as a person. And, you know, I've gone through a, a lot of other personal things. I've been married and divorced twice. I'm, you know, at a pretty young age, like I've lived life. That'll to do it to you. I can, yeah. I can, I can, I can fully say that, you know, I've been living life to my fullest and I don't regret anything. And I've, I've always like, if there's something I want to do, I'm going to go out and do it. And I've failed a ton at life and about a, a bunch of the stuff that I've tried to do. But um, ultimately, I think like that's, again, what has led me to where I am today. And I'm pretty happy with where I am today. So it's uh, it's all a journey, right? And it's a roller coaster. It's up and down. But I, I, I go back to um, this, uh, I think it was Theodore Roosevelt quote and it was from I originally heard it from Brene Brown's book um, Man in the Arena right and like are you familiar with that yeah and like that's that's how I want to live my life like I want to be the man in the arena I want to be the person out there taking shots on goal and like part of doing that means failing a lot but I'd much rather be that person than be someone on the outside looking in either talking shit about the man in the arena or just wishing like I would want to be that guy and I wish I could take those risks and and really live life and be my authentic self um so that that's how I'm going to live my life and some people don't like it and it is what it is all those experiences good bad and indifference they they make us who we are today that's you know the successes I have are just a combination of all the failures that I've learned from so 100%, yeah. Do you think that your view on the military was because you got more visibility to things as you, you know, moved up the ranks or maybe even a combination of a change in the military during that time? You're in like, what, close to 10 years. So, you know, do you, do you I guess, tie it to one or the other or a combination of both? Uh, but both for sure. Um, you know, the military is like, uh, just like any other bureaucratic organization, right? A lot of it comes down to who are you specifically working with? What leader is in charge of your unit at the time? Um, you can have a completely different culture environment depending on who's at the top, right? And those that changes constantly, like every year, two years. So um, it is kind of luck of the draw when it comes to that sense. But it was definitely a combination of two. You know, the military gets, um, in a lot of people's opinions, like worse as the less and less operational things are getting so as wars start to die down more rules and restrictions and like more bureaucratic like bullshit starts to come down um so that was definitely happening towards the tail end of my career um a lot of people that I kind of like were in my peer group were starting to get in leadership positions that I didn't think deserved to be there um so it, it was a combination of, yeah, both a lot of things that factor. And, and then at the end of the day, it was just like, what do I want to do with my life? Like, do I want to spend another 10 years doing this? Or have I felt like I've kind of gotten what I wanted to out of the military? And now um, as I've evolved as a, a human and as an, as an individual, I had new goals that I wanted to set out and accomplish. And um, to do that, I had to get out of the military. 
I found it really interesting. You know, my first thought, I'm like, okay, explosive is expert special forces in the Navy. He's probably, you know, everybody talks about hurt locker and I'm like reading, I'm like, it sounds more like a strategic role where you're kind of going out with seals or special forces and you're the explosives expert with those groups. So, I mean, are yeah. you, are you like, uh, you know, analyzing what might be a roadside bomb or, you know, just things that are mission specific as opposed to, Hey, we're going to call this guy in because somebody left a package at the Pentagon or something like that. Right. Yeah. So it's, um, the EOD is in every branch, right? So Army, Air Force, Marines, Navy, um, really Navy is a kind of a cream of the crop when it comes to EOD. And I'm not just saying that because I was a Navy EOD tech, like you can ask anyone from any branch and that's what they're gonna tell you. I don't know how that ended up being the way it is, but somehow Navy EOD became the, really the only special operations branch when it comes to EOD. Like people are familiar with the Hurt Locker. That was Army EOD. So typically like that's their mission set is where they're going to operate out of like a gerb, you know, some up armored vehicle and they're going to deploy a robot down on roadside IEDs. Um, Navy EOD is typically attached to another special forces unit. I worked a lot with Army Special Forces. So I did two deployments with 7th Special Forces Group. Um, a lot of guys get attached to SEAL units. It's kind of just luck of a draw where you end up. But most of the missions that they're doing are dismounted, right? So you're walking everywhere. It's on foot. You don't have a robot. A lot of it's like very hands-on stuff with explosives and with IEDs. And you're really there like to provide freedom of movement for the assault force, right? So we're there to take care of any explosive hazards, circumvent explosive hazards, um, anything that comes up that has to deal with explosives, that's your job to deal with, to provide freedom of movement for the assault force, to really to get them where they need to go um, to do the mission and then get them home safe, right? And everything else in between. Oh, that's awesome. So much different than what I would have initially thought. Yeah. So I know after leaving the military, you know, you got involved with a couple of programs or maybe one program in particular where you were helping or maybe I've got this wrong, but helping assist other veterans into civilian life, leveraging programs and resources and, and things of that nature. Is that something that was provided to you or that you sought out when you left? Yeah, it's a... Um... <laughs> It's a very, it's a weak area of the military, right? Um, they're getting better at it. It's becoming more like top of mind, I think, for a lot of leaders, thankfully. But when you look at the military as an organization, right, they're, they're in the business of recruiting talent and um, keeping that talent in the military, right? They're not in the business of helping people get out of the military. Um, and it's kind of weird because when you look at the private sector and like businesses in the commercial sector, um, a lot of the times they want to make that transition process for employees as best and as smooth as possible because those are the people that are leaving your organization and going to be the, uh, the spokespeople, right, for your organization, um, so it's kind of weird that the military doesn't spend more resources and time on it. One of the things is that so many people leave 
the military, 250,000 people get out of the military each year. So that's a really big, hard problem to solve, right? Um, luckily, there's a lot of nonprofit organizations and, and for-profit companies that are kind of stepping in because they realize how big of a problem it is. Um, I've gotten involved in a, in a ton of organizations. Uh, I currently, my day job is at a company called Shift. Um, the CEO and founder is actually another Navy EOD guy. We went through school together and he's been a friend of mine for the past decade. He got out a couple of years before me and kind of realized how hard that to navigate that transition process is and started this company. So like we're a career advancement company for military members. We, uh, we source the top military talent in the country. We put them through like career accelerator programs where we help them translate their story, their skills, their experience in the military into a specific job function in the, in the private sector. And then we go out and we partner with the best and leading technology companies in the world that want to hire veterans. Um, and we give them access to this marketplace of, of top military talent. So there's a lot of organizations doing really cool stuff um, like that right now in the world. Where does the misconception come from? Because I did, like I was telling you, I was just doing some research. I saw that you were with um, that organization and I'm like, I, I know like just if you were to ask me, it's like people struggle hiring veterans but the skill set that a veteran has is so different than a skill set that a, a grad come. It's like we have these job fairs and we push. It's like, oh, this guy, you know, he just graduated with a 4.0 from X, Y, or Z university. And it's like, aside from a couple of majors, what does that mean? They have no life experience. They, they can have a four-year degree with no life experience and come into a job, but we discount the experience that somebody who went overseas, served for their country, learned skills, like that's discounted for some reason. And I, I don't think the data, and, and maybe I'm wrong, but I don't think that the data supports that. But there, there is this narrative that like, I, I, don't, I don't know, it, it seems like it should be 180 degrees switched completely. Yeah, that, that's, that's the tough part, right? Is it's an education problem. Um, and typically in like a business environment, when it's an education problem, that's really hard. It's a, it's a, it's a, it takes a lot of money and time to solve that because you have to develop marketing material and talk to a lot of people and build a brand. But um, it, it comes down to what you said. It's a misconception and lack of understanding. And it really comes down to, I think, of a, a pre 9-11 mindset of what military members were, right? And that was someone that couldn't, operate independently and had to follow orders and had to be told exactly what to do and you're like a fucking robot right yes sir no sir on my way um i think a lot of that changed post 9 11 with just the environments of war and how chaos that environment is and especially when you look in like special operations community it's never really been like that um so the the hardest part is getting you can't connect the dots in a straight line from someone's military experience into a job set in the civilian world. And I can, for instance, like look at my, my story, right? So I was, I was a subject matter expert in all things explosive, chemical weapons, biological weapons, nuclear weapons. Now I sell a SaaS product 
at a leading technology company, right? If, if, if I was talking to you or someone that has no experience with veterans, you, you look at that story and you're saying, how, how does that make sense, right? How did you go from disarming bombs to selling a software product? Um, but when you really start to break it down and if you kind of take yourself out of that mindset of this person has to have the exact qualifications and experience in the industry and all this stuff that really is, is not true anymore to be successful, you start to look at what other things I did in the military, right? Like part of being an EOD tech is uh, doing mission briefs, right? So I'm getting up and I'm really doing a sales pitch to leadership on why they should let us go do this mission. Um, I'm running a lot of different programs on the back end, like outside of like an operational environment. You know, I'm tracking tons of millions of dollars worth of equipment and logistics of shipping it throughout the world for training missions and real world missions. Um, I'm a communicator at the forefront of what I do, right? I have to be an excellent verbal and written communicator in real time in chaotic environments. That directly translates into what a lot of these growing technology companies want in personnel. They want someone that can come in, operate with little oversight, that's independent, that's a problem solver, that can critically think. Like when you start to spout off those things and I start to talk to recruiters, I'm like, you literally just described military veterans but they don't have xyz experience they don't know how to run microsoft excel or something i was like you can teach someone how to do that in an hour right you're going to do that with someone from the industry anyways you're going to give them an onboarding experience and if you're a good company that's part of your onboarding process so this is a problem that we're trying to solve right and i do this every day i'm talking to recruiters from all these companies and it's some people get it right and they understand those intangible soft skills that veterans bring but a lot of people it's still hard for them because really the problem comes down with how companies recruit and how recruiters are kind of stuck in this traditional mindset um so we're, we're trying to fix that you know and it's going to take time but things are changing slowly it seems like it's almost a built-in excuse too because i i have like a maybe a a more direct thought of what it could be. And I think sometimes people, cause I've, I've spent a lot of time in technology in SaaS and software and startup world. It's kind of what my legacy is for the last 10 or 15 years. There's a, there's a lot of people in that space that don't want direct um, feedback. Uh, there's a lot of people that don't like accountability. And if the, not necessarily in startup, I think startups are, kind of the opposite. I, I see a lot of success from military folks in startup because it's like a CEO is looking to get from point A to point B and I want to get there quickly. I want to get there systematically, strategically, but I've worked inside of large, you know, fortune hundred type software companies. And there's so many people that it's like a bunch of pass the buck and somebody who comes from a military background that doesn't have that in their DNA to just pass the buck and not get something done, they can be a pain in the ass inside of an organization where everybody wants to not take accountability when things go wrong, but celebrate when things go right. And mm -hmm. I don't know if that's maybe something that's never going to be addressed because no, who's going to want to say that, right? Like, well, we don't want Josh here because Josh is a no bullshit kind of person. And when something's wrong, he points it out. Like, yeah. you're never going to say that. But I do feel like some people 
they manage or they hire that way. Cause it's like, I don't need a pain in the ass. It's going to tell me what I'm doing wrong, why I'm doing, you know what I mean? And it's like, that's the value. Part of the value you're going to get is somebody that's going to come in and, and not just do what they're told to do because that's, I think back to our original, you know, school conversation of why I wasn't a focused high school student. I know in college student, but. Yeah. It goes, my, my colleague, uh, Tyler, he's a, a former army green beret and he, we were having a conversation and he kind of spoiled, he's on our customer success team. So he sees this day in and day out, like he's working every day with our partners and trying to really educate them on how they can be successful with hiring military talent. And there's, he, he kind of told me there's two types of companies, right? There's um, military friendly companies and there's military ready companies. And the difference is right now, DEI is the cool thing to do. And everyone wants to be a military friendly company. Um, and that's a company that says they want to hire veterans, but the veteran has to meet the exact qualifications and experience and skill set that they expect from a traditional candidate. And most of the time, that's just not going to happen, right? So they end up never hiring veterans, but they claim to be veteran friendly on their website and all this stuff. And then there's military ready companies. And those are the companies that kind of meet that bucket, like we were talking about earlier, where they get it, right? They get I'm gonna to have to spend some time and train this person on the technical skills of whatever job I'm bringing them in. I'm gonna to have to get them up to speed on what the product is. That's okay. Like it, they're gonna learn really fast, but I'm really bringing them on because of all those soft skills that we just talked about. Because once they do get up to speed, they're gonna outperform their traditional candidates. They're not gonna get flustered when shit hits the fan. They're not gonna ask me a bunch of dumb questions that are gonna block them from you know, moving forward, they're going to just move. And if they come up to a roadblock, they're going to figure out how to jump, crawl under it or go around it. Right. And like, those are the people that we want to work with and that like understand veterans right now. Um, the other bucket are like people that take some time and, and effort to really like educate them. And like you said, frankly, a lot of them just aren't ready to do it. Like they're, they, they haven't been able to make that mindset change or they're not interested in really bringing on veterans and they just like to talk, you know? So one of those things, but yeah, it's a, it's a problem. Luckily uh, there's, there's companies that are, are kind of forward thinking and really bringing in a ton of veterans right now and they're seeing really good success. So the more that people do that, the more success stories we have and it's gonna trickle down eventually. That's so cool. Did your entrepreneurial spirit come out of this transition and the things that you've been learning through these programs? Or is that something that's been inside of you for a long time? Or did you kind of stumble upon across what you're doing? Because I, um, I think maybe we said it when we first started the podcast, or it was before uh, we hit the record button, but you also co-founded a company called Stasis. Am I saying that correctly? Yeah. Um, it, it kind of came about later in life, honestly, you know, I'm, I just turned 32, probably when I was like 25, um, is when I really started getting into entrepreneurship. Um, the, I, I read Tim Ferriss's book, Tool of Titans, when I was on a deployment, actually. And that book really, I think, sparked my interest, um, because I read about a lot of people that had similar backgrounds and kind of similar upbringings and stories than me and realized that, 
this was something that I could do too. And I was like always such an independent person and always kind of wanted to do things my way um, that I was like, this is, this is what I want to end up doing eventually. Um, and after that, like when I got home from that deployment, I started my own podcast. Um, it was called Monkey Business. I did like a couple seasons of it. And I basically interviewed other veteran entrepreneurs that had gotten out of the military and started their own companies. I got to talk to some really cool folks. I got to talk to um, Evan Hafer, the CEO of Black Rifle Coffee. Um, I can't remember his name, the CEO, the guy who founded Kill Cliff, like recovery drink, and just a bunch of really cool, like veteran entrepreneurs that were kind of doing what I wanted to do. Um, after that, I started like an athletic clothing company when I was on active duty that I ran for like a year, ended up not working out. Um, and then when I got out, uh, that's when I founded Stasis. So yeah, it's been like, again, another journey and a lot of failures and learning points, but um, it's been really exciting. I've learned a ton and Stasis has been something really cool that I was doing full time up until a couple months ago when I took on this role at Shift. Um, but we're, there's a lot of really cool stuff going on with that company right now um too so yeah i'm excited to kind of continue on the journey and see what ends up happening over the next couple of years with it is is what you're doing at stasis components that you were using in the military i think maybe for folks that don't understand like at first when i was looking i i knew you were like a breath coach and you guys did a lot with you know breathing exercises and stress reduction which i'm like i just had my second little one uh, four and a half months ago. So there's a lot of sleepless nights. Mm -hmm. I too am an entrepreneur. I have multiple things, this podcast, I'm a co-founder in a, uh, natural supplements and coffee brand. And so like lacking sleep, a lot of stress. I was, you know, interested in what you're doing. Cause I'm big on sauna. I'm big on cold bath. I'm big on trying to meditate. Not mm -hmm. very good at that yet. Um, sauna is probably the thing I do five, six, sometimes seven days a week. And I've recently started to, you know, go sauna, cold bath back into the sauna. And it's been fantastic. And I, I caught an episode <clears throat> trying to think of, of what it was as a podcast that you were on. And I heard how you got this idea for the cold plunges. And it really resonated with me because years ago, uh, I fought amateur mixed martial arts, probably like 10, 11 years ago. And while I would train every night, I'd come home, I'd stop at the gas station, I'd get like three or four big giant mm -hmm. bags of ice, I'd come home, I'd fill up the bathtub with water, dump the ice in and I would sit in it. Mm -hmm. And it was just like this routine that I probably did that 100 times over the course of a year, just like ice in the tub. And I got away from it. And I've thought about how good I felt. I felt great. And I was putting my body through hell. I mean, I was getting beat up constantly, but that reduction in inflammation, and I'm sure so many other things that I'm not knowledgeable about made me feel so good, so focused and clear-minded. And I'm feeling it again, you know, 10 plus years later as I'm getting back in and the benefit for me, I mean, as I get older, it's, I mean, it's substantial. Um, so I guess, I didn't, I knew you did ultra running. I'm like, maybe it comes from that. It's things that you've picked up from others or, you know, then I heard that podcast and I'm like, it sounds like you're doing this type of stuff, even when you were active duty. Oh yeah. That's definitely the stem of all that for me. Um, 
that was really the stem of like me getting very interested in kind of human performance and, and holistic health. And um, in the military, I was like a pretty big CrossFit athlete and Olympic weightlifter for a while. It's kind of weird now, like totally 180 to like an endurance athlete. Um, I used to be super strong and now I'm not, which is kind of upsetting, but um, different domains, right? Like I said, I've always kind of done stuff and then get tired of it and move on to the next thing. Um, so yeah, I mean, like, you know, the guys I worked with, we were always like trying to mess around with stuff and like figure out how we could optimize our performance, whatever that was. And, uh, you know, this was back five, six years ago now, kind of like right when Wim Hof was making mm. his name big and like the Western world, but really still at that time, like small niche, like human performance circles that were starting to get into the breathing and the cold plunge and all that. So we set up like saunas and cold tubs at our shop on bases. And like, you know, we were super into that stuff. Uh, very fortunate to where like, you know, a few hours a day, we were able to kind of set aside to just training and, and working out um, part of the job, right, to stay like physically fit, mentally fit as well. So yeah, that's when I first got into all that stuff. And it just became like, integral part of my life and knew that when I got out of the military, um, I see a lot of guys like get out and kind of let themselves go and they don't keep up with like the lifestyle, I guess, anymore. But um, it was something to me where like, I notice a big difference if I don't do that stuff. Um, from like a mental health standpoint, I go downhill fast, like it's such an important part for me to stay mentally healthy and um, be able to deal with stress. And it's everything. It's the breath work. It's the meditation. Meditation has become a huge part of my life every like it's a non negotiable for me every day. Um, and I can tell an immediate difference in who I become in my personality and how I react to stressors in life when I stop doing those things. Um, so it's like, it's, it's crazy how big of a difference those things have made and who I've become as a person. Um, so it was really a no brainer for me to like, why not start a company around the stuff that I truly care about and am passionate about and quite frankly, and like fairly knowledgeable about too. And um, that's where the idea for like stasis was born and it's gone through its own evolutions and roller coaster rides and stuff since we've started it and we're still trying to really figure out like you know where exactly we fit in and what the 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 product is going to end up being and, and how that fits into like the market and stuff but we've done a lot of really great things throughout the pandemic with um some top-notch hospitals and research facilities throughout the country. Um, we have a, a clinical trial launching in January with UPenn for heart failure. So like an older population. Um, and basically this doctor reached out to us, saw some of the work we were doing. Um, and he's done a lot of prior research around the vagus nerve for heart failure and uh, implanting, implanting um, mechanical and electrical stimulation devices for the vagus nerve to basically make your nervous system in a more parasympathetic state, mm -hmm. which I know you can do very easily with altering your breathing patterns. Um, and so that's, that's what we're going to, we're basically setting out to prove is that through respiratory training and, and daily breathing exercises, 
um, my hypothesis is, is that we're going to be able to alter the vagus nerve just as much, if not more, than these uh, devices that have to be surgically input in these high-risk patients because they're typically older than 55, and a lot of them have multiple comorbidities, so not people you want to put under anesthesia and a knife, right? Um, so it's, it's it's a lot of cool stuff going on right now in like the the respiratory breathwork space, and um, I think we're on the front edge of of taking breathwork out of a human performance and athletic and kind of this esoteric like mindfulness meditation space mm -hmm. and applying it directly to solving some of the biggest problems in healthcare right now. Are you familiar with Evan Britton? I'm not, no. Um, you'll have to check him out. He's a former uh, NFL lineman. He played for the Bears, a couple other teams. Um, and then he left. He had opium, uh, an opioid addiction, was very depressed, and he's changed his life through meditation, yoga, breath work, cold plunge. Um, he was the co-host of Hot Boxing with Mike Tyson. Oh, okay. Yeah, I'm familiar with that. Yeah, he really, he's got like a deep, his voice is like, un, un, uh, un, you can't miss it. I'm losing my, what words <laughs> to use here, but I've had Evan on the podcast a couple of times, and we talked a lot about how just slowing your breathing down to switch into a, into a sympathetic or switch from a parasympathetic to a sympathetic nervous system. I, I might be switching. Flip. Yeah, you're flipped. Um, and just how much of a difference that could have. And I mean, I probably don't utilize it nearly as much as I could, but at something like when I get stressed out now, I truly do. I like think I'm like, okay, breathe. Mm -hmm. And it's unbelievable how quickly you can come back to baseline and, I mean, we could talk for hours about just some of the things that now in hindsight, I look back on and I'm like, I thought that this was caused by X, Y, or Z. And probably it was because I didn't sleep or I wasn't breathing properly. Yeah. It, it's, it's insane. It's become um, integral to how I train, especially with running, um, how important like breathing is when you're talking about running for five to 10 hours or more, you know, like um, to be able to be in control of your heart rate and your respiratory rate. Um, it's really, it comes down to being able to stay in aerobic zone more longer and more efficiently. Mm -hmm. um, but it, it has aspects in, in every part of our life, whether you're a top performing CEO, an NFL athlete, uh, a military operator. Um, it's the one thing that all humans have available to them 24 hours a day from the minute you're born to the minute you die is like your breath, right? And um, such a small amount of people are aware of how important it is and how much impact it really has on all other aspects of our health and our, our organs and our body. Um, it's, the, it's the main driver of your autonomic nervous system, which is really what controls almost every other aspect of your, of your body from your heart rate, your blood pressure, um, your, your state, right. Your nervous system, your immune system, your bowel movements, your sleep, how alert you are. All of that is driven by that autonomic nervous system. And within 30 seconds, you can simply switch that, whether you're parasympathetic or sympathetic state, just by changing how fast you're breathing and how much oxygen CO2 you're uptaking. Um, so it's, it, it's crazy how much impact it has and how little people know about it. Um, so that's kind of, again, the it's, big not a pill. it's not, yeah, a pill. it's not a pill. And that's, that's the problem, um, is that 
you know, someone has asked, asked, or, you know, access to it, like I said, all the time without having to go to a doctor or taking a prescription. Um, so depending on how you're looking at it from a big pharmaceutical standpoint, it could be a big problem for them. Um, but we're, we're, I think there's a huge shift in, in, in healthcare going on right now. Um, a lot of companies are trying to figure out how we can develop more preventative care, right? Instead of being a treatment-based healthcare system or a symptom-based, and we're going to treat that symptom, how do I stop that symptom from arising in the first place? And a lot of that comes down to super basic concepts, right? Working out, eating healthy, getting enough sleep, doing all these basic things that we've kind of known about for a long time. Um, the unfortunate part is like Americans are freaking lazy, right? And Dude, they we're don't, going they through wanna... a pandemic and you can't get people to get off their ass and get healthy. I mean, exactly. it's more right. you need to see. They want that, they want that quick pill that's going to solve all their problems. Um, and that, that hasn't come yet, right? That that pill doesn't exist yet. And maybe one day it will, who knows? Um, but yeah, there's a there's a lot of people that are kind of awakening. Um, right now to more holistic health measurements. And I think a large part of that is because of all the research and data that we have now on meditation and breath work and cold plunge and sauna. Um, because before you could dispute that, right, as hearsay or people didn't see the research, see the evidence. Now you can't, like, you know, data doesn't lie, right? When you can show someone numbers and show them uh, clinically validated, third-party tested, all these things, placebo-run um, tests. So the, the, the health and human performance world um, over the next 10 years is going to dramatically shift, I think. Um, it's really, really interesting um, to see where that industry goes and what's going to come out of it. I know you've got a, a hard stop here, so I'm going to let you go. Um... Hopefully we can do a second one of these in the future because there's so many more things. I'd love to really get into that, you know, human performance and just health and, and well-being aspect in a full, you know, podcast. Um, before I let you go, though, I think it ties to that, which is the ultra running. I wanted to ask you because it's been something that I've been watching a lot of. I mean, people, I think, recently are familiar with David Goggins and Cam Haynes. Joe Rogan's kind of like brought ultra running to the forefront of pop culture because of the guests and folks that he's had on how, like, how does somebody find that if not from that area? I mean, I didn't even know people were running a hundred miles until I heard somebody talk about it on a podcast. So, I mean, have you been doing this for a while or where, where did that come from? Maybe we can dive into it on a future podcast, but I want to pique my interest now. So I remember. <laughs> no, no. Um, honestly, I think, it was either Cam Haynes or Goggins on Rogan. Like I'm a huge fan of Rogan that I was like, well, wow, I've never been. And honestly, it was weird. I hate running or used to hate running in the military. Like I was never a runner, um, never something I enjoyed to do. And I think I've just evolved where the more time I spent running, I needed that like alone time. Um, and I've grown to love it. I did Goggins uh 48 hour challenge last year oh, the four by four by 48 four by four by 48 that was my first like I, I i guess that's an ultra marathon i would consider it one i ended up running 54 miles in under 48 hours so um that that was my first like dip into ultra marathon and i loved it and uh, i was just like uh i liked the the aspect of ultra running where there's no crowd you're by yourself no one can see you 
and it's that mental game, right? It's like, I can stop and walk right now if I wanted to and no one would ever know, or I can keep running. And like, you're constantly just in a battle with yourself and your own mind for hours at end. Um, and I like that. And I want to continue to push myself and to challenge myself. And I think it's kind of the same reason why everyone gets into that sport. It's like to find the edge, right? If there is one and people keep breaking that year over year now they're doing like fucking 500 mile ultra marathons and it's like who knows what the body is truly capable of one thing for sure is that um the the mind always quits before the body does so it's like that's that's the the interesting part to me um as I've gotten into meditation and I've since I got out of the military, I've done a lot of work um, with psychedelics and like, I just want to, I've been exploring my mind more and more. And um, I'm really fascinated with like human, human psychology and neuroscience and, and all those things. And I think there's just an aspect of ultra running, like I said, where um, it's no bullshit. Like it's, it's not like any other sport out there because you're by yourself and there's, there's no one there to fucking cheer you on. And um, it's just you and your mind and the road and, and time and a lot of time to think. Um, and you don't get that in, um, in the world today, right? We're always on social media and all this stuff. So it's like when I go on my runs every day and long runs on the weekend, like that's, that's my time where I get to sit with my thoughts and decompress. And I always come back from those, no matter how like rough it was, like just feeling like nothing can, can hurt me or challenge me. Um, for the rest of the day like I don't care what happens um, someone can pull pull in front of me in the row you know like I'm just like so zen and so chilled out because I've worked out all those inner demons in myself um, and that's like what I'm hooked like it's just you know it's become like something that I want to do and want to get better at um, so yeah that's so cool. We are definitely going to have to do another one of these in the future because the the psychedelics, uh, there's just so many things that I think we can explore and so many people can get benefit from. So I'm going to certainly hold you to that if we can in the future. But Josh, I appreciate it, man. This was a lot of fun. I loved hearing the story. Uh, where can everybody go to see what you're doing with um, shift and st stasis and just anything else you got going on? Yeah. Um this is kind of weird. Honestly, like the best place to find me right now is on LinkedIn because I've gotten pretty much off of all social platforms um, for like the past month. And that's another thing that's been, oh my God, so freeing for me. Um, I feel so much better um, anxiety wise from getting off like Instagram and Twitter and all that shit. But I'm on there at Josh Dunce, D-U-N-T-Z. Um, you can follow me again. I'm not very active on those platforms right now. Um, find me on LinkedIn. Like I'm super active on LinkedIn right now. Um, check us out at stasis.life is the website for stasis. Um, you can, you know, if people are listening to this and they want to really get in contact with me, uh, I'll tell them to hit you up and you can maybe make an introduction via email. Sure. But yeah. Always willing to, I love having these conversations. Um, so more than willing to come on and let's, let's do this a couple more times and really dive deep into stuff. So Thanks again for having me on. Really appreciate it. And uh, look forward to, to chatting again soon. Likewise, man. I hate running. So maybe in the future, we'll do a, an ultra together. Because uh, if you can get to there, I, I think I can get there too. So for sure. Appreciate it, Josh. We'll talk soon, buddy. Thanks, sir. Bye-bye.